0: or what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And I'm going to be starting a new in-depth series today, okay? And y'all, it's going to be the most horrible case that I've done yet. It's just tragic. It involves multiple deaths and some injuries. I say deaths, murders, and some injuries and everything. But it's going to be spread out over a long period of time because I have the entire case file. I have every single thing on this one. I have not had that yet on Real Life Real Crime. Now... I have to tell a story. I've got to be able to put it together step by step. So, just bear with me. Today, I'm going to give you what I will call the prelude to the series, and I'm gonna call it Nanny Nut. And stay tuned, y'all, at the end of the show, I got a bunch of announcements about the crew bash and, and different things that are going on for Real Life Real Crime. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Y'all in Louisiana, we have the Office of Child Protective Services, all right, and then we call them—I call them OCS—and you know they're they're seriously busy, okay, and they have to investigate every complaint that comes in on child abuse. It, even a lot of them they get are bullshit. Like it's a bad custody battle and, and somebody will call and say, oh, get their friend to call and say, oh, well, I think they did such and such this baby or they're over there using drugs and this baby and I mean, so they, they deal with a lot all right? and, and they deal with a lot of people and they deal with a lot of bullshit but they also deal with a lot of tragic cases and I worked with them just constantly especially, even in uniform patrol taking initial reports and Sometimes it was such a bad thing that OCS had to be called out as as well as the detectives and the, and the workers. And I got to know them. In every CAC, pretty much that I've done, OCS was involved at some point. That's the Child Advocacy Center interviews in Louisiana when they something happens or supposedly happens to a child. You have to bring them in to a forensic interviewer, and that that forensic interviewer sits in the room and establishes with the child. Do they know? I say, child, that's anyone under 17, y'all, uh, um, do they know the difference between right and wrong and all that? And they build a rapport with them, and, but they can't guide them. They can't ask them any leading questions, et cetera. At the end, you make the determination of whether to send it to the grand jury or get on the warrant yourself or let the parents get on the warrant or whatever based off the information that the child gives. But OCS is always involved, too, especially when their children might possibly be in harm's way in the home. And I think they're, they're good people. Right? And you know, I, I think they, they do the best that they can do. But you know what? I think the same thing about law enforcement. The 99.9% of them are good. But I'm going to tell you something. People make mistakes, okay? And with the best of intentions, people make mistakes or they don't want to believe that true evil really exists. And I'm talking about... Fucking monsters. All right. Now, this case, I'm telling you, when I'm going to give you a little taste of it today, but the which it's going to be bad, but in the weeks that are coming, I'm going to lay it out for you step by step. Every detective that worked on the cases, every uh, report, uh, autopsies, FBI's involvement, uh, I actually have the recorded statements of suspects being interviewed. We've got multiple polygraph reports. We've got all kinds of stuff. So you just got to bear with me because I'm going to tell you something. This story makes, uh, what's her name, Uh, Casey Anthony, who beat the murder charge, the mom or whatever, it it makes Casey Anthony look like fucking Cinderella, okay? so But we're going back a long time on this one, y'all. And this one actually I'm gonna start it back in nineteen eighty nine. Now obviously in eighty nine it wasn't my case, but I'll start it with this. They had a, a couple that brought their child in nineteen eighty nine. They they got their child back from the babysitter and it, it was the child was severely burned on one hand, its arm. In its face, the babysitter or the nanny claimed at the time that the child fell into, into a wall heater. You know, this was in Independence, Louisiana, y'all, which is part of it's uh, uh, technically in Livingston Parish and part of it uh, is in Tangipo Parish. The majority of it is in Tangipo Parish. So this baby is is burned Bad, on one hand and arm and on the face. The nanny claims that the baby fell into a wall heater, okay? The baby is brought in. The doctor examines it and treated the baby. But the doctor said, there's no way in hell this baby was burned by a wall heater. This baby was not burned by a wall here. period. So what happens? It's turned over to the Office of Child Protective Services. And I guess an investigation was conducted, okay? But during the, the investigation, the nanny never called, never... I I don't know, y'all, all all the details. Uh, This is one of the supplemental reports that I found in the file on on the big nanny no or nanny not case that I'm going to tell you about, but this is how I had to start it, to lay a little groundwork. But the nanny, the dad said he thought, after it was turned over to uh, the Office of Child Protection, he said he thought it was strange that the nanny never called to check on the baby And in fact, when the mother of the baby went into a local grocery store and saw the nanny, the nanny was at the checkout line with her groceries, and nanny sees her. And before she could say anything to the nanny, the nanny leaves her shit on the counter and runs out the door. All right, I'll tell you later on why this is important in what goes on so as far as what happens on the the child investigation case i don't know but that's 1989 in on august 24th 1992 there's another baby Listen, i'm not going to say the names like the one that the the baby they got burned and I'm not going to say the name of this baby, although I will put up the documentation on it uh, after I do this. Drop the second episode in the series. I'll put it up for Patreon members, y'all. And the reason I do that is because I don't know where these kids are. They might be lifers, right? And, and but I'm telling you, this is a horrible story. And if you can figure out what story it is, then whatever you've heard about it—the urban legend or whatever—I have the true guts of it. All right, and. I'm t- the warning. You better heed it because it's bad. But on August twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two, the set of parents they had an eight month old child, right, and they also had a, a daughter that was a, a couple years older than than this eight month old child. Now, they happen to use the same nanny that the burn baby's parents were using. But they also used their next door neighbor from time to time, okay? But on August twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two, they after this this child, the eight month old, got home from the nanny's house, the parents noticed that the baby had a skull injury. Okay. What do they do? What the fuck would you do? As a parent, you haul ass to the hospital, and they did. So they go to the hospital and they learn that the baby had a fractured skull. But the problem was the parents thought that the injury must have occurred in their own home. They thought that the baby fell. They never thought anything about the nanny. They thought, well, you know, maybe. He must have fell. And when, once they realize they're at home, it, I don't know the specific details, but they, you know they get the baby home, the eight month home home from the nanny, and at some point they, they realize, hey, you know what? He's not acting right. And then they realize he had, uh, I think, it said like a mushy spot on his head, and they rush him to the emergency room. But they think they're doing it. They go on in there thinking, oh my shit, our, our baby fell and hurt itself, right? So they bring it in, and it turns out the baby had a fractured skull. So no OCS, no cops were called or anything on that time. I mean, they told the hospital, look, he must have fell in the house and, and hurt himself, right? So kind of that was the end of it. The baby heals up evidently, and but uh, approximately one month later, the same baby returned home from the same nanny's house with another injury to his skull. Now, he returned home again. He's got multiple injuries. Oh, he's, got a, uh, he's got injuries to his skull. What do they do? They haul, at, haul ass to the hospital with him. And what happens to the hospital this time? The kids, the eight-month-old, has multiple skull fractures. Multiple, y'all. Now, think about that. I've had skull fractures. I've had my left temporal bone fractured, you know, from a really nasty ass blow in a fight. And I mean, that's that's some bad shit, right? And and you might have read it in my book, "Jesus Help Me." But the thing is, how do you get multiple skull fractures? That means in more than one place. Eight months old. Okay. I could see the first time, and I mean, hell, I'm a father. I got four kids, and and thankfully they're all past this age. They're all older now, but the it, maybe if you know, I get the baby in. I, I trust my nanny, uh, um, and I see he's not acting right, or something's funny about him, or whatever. And I examine him a little bit closer. Now, just because it, the the first injury all wasn't a bleeding injury or anything like that, the baby boy just wasn't acting right, and out of Abundance caution, they take it to the hospital. That's when they found that it had the injury to its skull, right? Now, when it comes back the second time, and he's definitely not acting right. So they take him to the hospital, and he's got multiple skull fractures. It's fucking crazy. All right, so then a child abuse investigation was opened by the Tantrop Parish Sheriff's Department, and that's y'all, that's the, the parish that's uh, butts up to the east of Livingston Parish, and the Office of Child Protective Services, OCS, of Tangeville Parish. Now, the parents said, the investigators and in OCS came down on them hard. And, and look, hey, you you already been to the hospital once. I mean, they start digging in like, shit, this baby's eight months old. He's already been in the hospital once for a head injury. Now he's come back and he's got multiple, multiple skull fractures. you talk talking about the, the breaking of your damn skull. And he's got multiple skull fractures. And what did they do? They went aboard the parent's ass. And, and I have the doc- documentation on that, but I'm not gonna read it to you word for word. I'm just gonna sum it up for you. But they said that there was a series of, of intimidating and malicious statements and they threatened to put the parents in jail. Parents kept saying, Hey, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. I mean, you know, shit, the, but we understand our baby's hurt, but we don't know how it happened. They didn't believe them. Okay. They didn't believe them. I'm talking about they, the cops and OCS did not believe them. In fact, they conducted their investigation and evidently y'all there wasn't enough to charge the parents okay and again the parents brought the baby in but now let's talk about that the in Louisiana that a lot especially in a lot of um child accusation cases and stuff like that if there's not enough to charge them with criminal charges the OCS can is really they're like they're I don't want to say they have their own laws, but they can pretty much get away with what they want to. Meaning, But I think, again, that they were trying to do it in the best interest of the baby. But so one of the things they asked these parents during the investigation is, well, who else watches the baby? They gave them the name of the nanny that they came home from the first time. Now, again, they never questioned that nanny. The parents didn't question their mind that the nanny had done something to the baby, period. They gave them the name of that nanny and they said also our next door neighbor watches our kids sometimes, right? So OCS tells them that they are required to use the nanny and not the next door neighbor. The nanny being y'all, the one that the baby came home from the first time, and it was some some hours later they noticed the injury, they take it to the hospital. Uh, um, and they thought it happened in their house. They thought he he fell or whatever, an eight-month-old, y'all. Now, after he's got he's laid up in the hospital and he's got multiple skull fractures, that's serious shit. I mean, they, they, they if it, the bleeding, the subdural, subdural hematomas don't go down on their own, they have to, you know, cut your skull open to release the pressure on the brain and shit because the brain swells on the skull fractures. I mean, it was a bad deal for this family, first of all, but, but the eight-month-old baby, thank God it couldn't remember. But... After it's done, they don't have enough to charge them with. So, but OCS tells them, "Well, we don't. You, you can't use your neighbor and your friend to babysit this kid anymore. You got to use the nanny." Now, what does that tell me? That tells me that OCS must know of this nanny. Now, go back to the nineteen eighty nine kid that gets burned up. And the doctor said, "Uh, uh, bullshit. There's no way this kid got burned up by a wall heater to his face and his arm and his hand." OCS was called out. They investigated. Who do you think they went and talked to? They had to go talk to the nanny. So they had to know her. And then when it comes to them asking who who else had access to the baby, and they and they give the nanny's name, and and who else watches them or sees them could be alone with. So the only other one's our friend and our neighbor, right? OCS is you cannot ever let this baby near your neighbor again. And if you're going to use a babysitter for any reason after this, you've got to use that nanny. I mean, what do they do? They're law-abiding citizens. They try to obey, and they're just happy that their baby lived. Okay? Now, same year, later in the year, on Christmas Day, their family, that being the, the mama, the daddy, the eight-month-old who's now been to the hospital twice and had se- the severe injuries the second time, go to a Christmas party at the baby's aunt's house. During that time at the Christmas party, they had a videotape taken and witness testimony that confirms that the baby was that eight-month-old was healthy and playing normally that day. That evening, the parents allowed the baby and their 18-month-old daughter to visit the neighbor's house and stay overnight, the one that OCS said they couldn't go to. The next morning, on December 26, the nanny picks up the 18 month old and the 8 month old, with the family's permission, and took them to her house to stay overnight. All right, let's talk about it for a second. Now, I really can't remember when my kids were eight months old, but I'm guessing that's the toddler stage where you, you know, they're in their little baby shoes and they they can st- pull themselves up and walk around a little bit and fall down. I don't remember, but I'm I'm guessing. Uh, the, the, that's that age where, you, you know, they run around and do a little bit of following. So maybe that's why they thought the first time they could have happened, why they had their back turned and, they, you know, the baby hit his head or whatever. The second time, mm, fuck, I don't know, man. All they knew is the baby was in dire straits and taken it in. It's got multiple skull fractures. Then they get treated like criminals and rifles. so. I mean, it had to be investigated, But, but for them to be told do not let the baby go back to the neighbor's house and spend the night where well, they did it, okay? And But the next morning, the nanny, all the way back to 1989, she picks up both kids at the parents' request and permission and took them her, to her house to stay overnight. The next morning, the mama calls the nanny to see how the kids are doing, the nanny tells the mama that the eighteen month old is playing, but the eighth month old is still asleep. The mom becomes alarmed because the eighth month old usually didn't sleep past 7 a.m. So she instructed the nanny to bring both kids home immediately. Was the nanny there? She hauls ass to the hospital for the eight-month-old. Upon arrival, he goes in the emergency room, says, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's unresponsive. They take him back and find out the eight-month-old is brain dead. Brain dead. He would die approximately two days later. So investigation is kicked off, all right, immediately. The 18-month-old, the girl, was removed from the parents and placed in in foster care in the state of Louisiana for 16 months. Think about that. No contact with the parents, placed in a foster home, people she doesn't know, 16 months, y'all. What do you telling an 18-month-old? Hell, I can't remember my kids. At, I guess it's a year and a half. I can't remember how far along they were, but I know it wasn't that far. But I know damn well, uh, my, you know, 18-months-old wanted wanted mom and daddy around, right? ooh we. So the investigation's kicked off. The, the baby, the girl is placed in foster care. In spite... Of the existence of the videotape and the witness testimony, and the parents, the, this investigation is going on. They, they produced videotapes, showed that uh, eight month old running around healthy and stuff. And then, but yeah, you know, maybe, maybe OCS knew something on the neighbor that, that was worse than on the nanny. Shit, I don't know. But the parents produced videotape, uh, all the witnesses from the party saying the baby was healthy. And, in fact, the parents begged to be given lie detector tests, which they never were. But guess what did happen to them? They were both arrested for the murder of their eight-month-old son and imprisoned on charges of cruelty to a juvenile and second-degree murder. They weren't allowed to visit their son in the hospital the next two days before he died. Okay, because he, he's on life support, y'all. You know, uh, fortunately, in some cases like this, this is, and when people are organ donors, uh, that's where LoPa has time to come in and assess and maybe help other people. But not this one. The baby was brain dead, and after two days. Ended up dying in the hospital. Now the parents are arrested, and they know their baby's in the hospital. They, they've been told, right? Yeah. You know, they of course during their interrogation, they, you thought the cops went above them, aboard their ass hard. The first time, they really grilled the shit out of them this time. And but you know the the parents asked about the medical condition of the baby. You know. They asked, "Well, what's going on? You know, with her baby. Can we please see her baby?" And they were told he's got multiple. They were told he's 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 brain dead in the hospital. They begged to go see him. No, no, no. And then when they asked, when they asked specifically about the injuries to him, they didn't tell him. Cops refused to tell him, okay? Then the baby dies. I don't know. I guess they held him on on the cruelty to juvenile, and when the baby died on the 29th, they charged him with a second-degree murder, and they weren't allowed to visit him in the hospital before his death, and they were denied access to information regarding his medical condition. Now, here's the deal. You've heard me talk about prisons before, right? These parents were locked up for approximately eight months. It's one thing if you go to jail for stealing something or being a dope dealer or shit, beating somebody or whatever, okay? It's another thing if you go to jail as a chomo, a child molester. Right? Even prisoners don't like child molesters, and they will make you pay for it. You're gonna—I don't care where you are, whether it's a federal prison, down to the parish jail or county jail or wherever—you, they can get their hands on you. They're gonna make your life a living fucking hell. All right. Not to mention the fact now these two are locked up and didn't ever get to say goodbye to their baby, but they're locked up not for child molestation charges. They are locked up for the worst charge you can be locked, or you can be down for if you're an inmate, and that is the murder of a baby. A murder of a baby. I can only imagine how they suffered. At, I mean, because I'm going to tell you some Swim, someone who isn't me, when, when I was a corrections officer, if I knew a dude that, that killed a baby... I didn't give a shit what they did to him. And that's just a fact. Say, so I'm not saying, i know swim. Swim, as far as I'm concerned, they can do whatever they want to them, right? I don't know all the details what happened to these parents on the inside. They certainly weren't cell together. And you think men are bad on baby killers? Women are a million times worse because these ladies are locked up. I use that term loosely, but these women are locked up and they know you're in there for killing your eight-month-old baby, they're going to make life a living fucking hell for you. But what if you're innocent? What if you're innocent? You've been begging, give me a lot of technical tests. I'll do anything we can to prove, but what, what can you do? After eight months, finally, now this is really outside the box, but after eight months, finally, the lawyers got their case. Well, the... District attorney took their case to a grand jury who heard the district attorney's side of the case. Guess what happened? No true bill. The jury heard the facts of the case, which included the baby, the parents bringing the baby in before, and the second time when the baby comes in. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the first time the baby went in, the second time the baby goes in with multiple skull fractures, and then the the third time that the babysitter, not the baby, we'll call her nanny, the nanny is instructed to bring the kids home immediately. Instead, she takes the baby to the hospital. And he's found to be brain dead. Grand jury hears the evidence from one side and come back with a no true bill. So what happens? The parents get released. But OCS is still involved, and just because you get a no-true bill, it doesn't mean they don't think you're guilty. It just means they don't have enough evidence. The grand jury says you don't have enough evidence at this time to hold these people for prob- you know, probable cause or beyond a reasonable doubt. And so they release them, but guess what? They still don't get their daughter back they still are under the the cloud of scrutiny of being the murderers of their baby, who in eight months' time, we know, went to the emergency room at least three. The third one, third time, he never left, until he left in a body bag. I believe, and I, I may have to stand corrected on this, but I believe the autopsy... On this. You know, you know what? I'm not even gonna say it. It's gonna come out later on in the store, but I believe that the third time it was, in um, the autopsy proved the baby died from being shaken to death. Shaken to death. Now, eight month old is not a little baby, y'all. You know, I worked a, a, unfortunately way too many baby cases, like infants that wouldn't stop crying, and we're talking about a couple months old. You're holding like a football, and you can easily shake that baby to death. How the hell are you going to shake an eight-month-old to death and break the brain stem and cause them to be brain dead? But I'll get into that in the later episodes because this is all going to come back and tie together. So what is the key factor here? 1989, OCS is involved called because a doctor saw a baby that's burned, on the severely burned, on the hand, the arm, and the face. The nanny, the person who was in control, had actual physical custody of the baby, said the baby walked into a wall heater. Doctor said, you're full of shit. Office of Child Protective Services investigates what happens. We don't know. But they investigated it. I know that for a fact. And, again, I'll explain all this to you all later on as, as I can tell you about the documents. So that nanny's name is in the system. 89 to, what, 92, when parents get the baby home from... Same nanny's house, at some point later on, they realize the baby's not acting right, take him to the hospital, find out that he has a head injury. But they say, you know what, it had to happen in our house, and we're sorry, he could have fell, and whatever, whatever, right? They're still not thinking anything's wrong. What's the same common denominator? That nanny. Okay? But the next time, the baby comes in, home uh, they end up taken to the hospital has multiple skull fractures. and the OCS and the cops come in, they you know get on the parents' ass and, but there's not enough to charge them, but the OCS says you, you can't let them go stay at your neighbor's house anymore and you know, what four months go by, They go to the Christmas party, baby's healthy, happy, running around on video, got all kinds of witnesses. They let him spend the night with his sister at the neighbor's house. Now, I'm not saying these people are the best parents in the world. I don't fucking know. But they they went against OCS's fucking unenforceable rule. They can tell you that. How can they enforce it? But then the mom calls the nanny, who they still have no idea is the common denominator behind the injuries, and ask her to come pick him up because OCS is ruling, come pick him up. OCS is ruling, come pick him up and let him spend the night. Mom calls the next morning and check on him. 18 months old's good, little one, he's sleeping. That's not right, he's always up by seven. She called at nine o'clock, he's always up by seven. It, 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 bring him home immediately. Our common denominator, takes them straight to the hospital. Parents get arrested. I don't know at what point you have to fucking look outside the box of the parents and try to figure out, or why not give them a polygraph test? You know, why not? You, you, I think you get tunnel vision. Oh, I know you can get tunnel vision on cases, and you absolutely don't want to believe there might be this one common denominator that's behind all these injuries and ultimately the death of the baby. But to be locked up and charged with the murder of your own baby and have to suffer and not even get to see your baby and tell it, by, wow, it's still in the hospital. Like, give no information on the medical condition, right? If you know why your baby's dead. eight months before your case is heard by a grand jury. Y'all normally on, on the big cases, uh, death penalty cases and stuff like that, when it goes for the grand jury, that bitch is going as fast as possible. But I'm talking about within days if possible, the next time, or they might call us uh, convene this, uh, the grand jury. The grand jury, the secret grand jury doesn't sit in every day, y'all. They're 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 impaneled for like 90 days at a time, and they'll call them in like, when they have a stack of cases they need to present for them. But that fucking ain't eight months worth. That's that would have been almost three different grand juries during that time. But at some point, they take it, they release them. Still don't get the daughter back. But guess what? About a year. Then the math, in my head. About a year. I can't see eight eight months on top of ninety two to. 2003, so we're looking at August, uh, about six months, August, maybe, maybe another eight months in Livingston Parish. Our common denominator, the nanny has moved, is now living in Livingston Parish. And what happens? She gets arrested and charged for her involvement with the death of another baby. So these parents, the ones from Tangipo that locked, spent the time locked up, I guess they had their oh shit, their aha moment. I'm like, holy shit, we didn't even think. I mean, even though she rushed it to the hospital and all that, I guess they had this super aha moment of that fucking bitch, that fucking bitch would trust their kids to her. And now, I mean, they don't know about the 1989 case at this point and And they only know that they would take their kids to the nanny's house and drop them off and probably go out maybe a night together uh, for dinner or something, whatever it is. You know, when you have young kids like that, man. If you get somebody to watch them for one night, that's a good thing, right? I mean, it's, it's you're not to have those babies just for that one night. And I oftentimes, joke and uh, yeah, and I say you better watch that. You know, when when young parents <laughs> get to drop their kid off around that two year old, you know, two year old mark. Um, like that's how brothers and sisters get made, right? Because then you're feeling pretty good, you're thinking, you're not thinking about all the shitty diapers and the earaches and the loading and the unloading of the car and all that, shit, you know. The, uh, and you finally get some alone time with your spouse, you know. A newborn baby is God's natural form of birth control, right? I mean, you're just not gonna have the sex if you do, you're lucky, but it's a two year mark. At 18 month mark. Now, how many brothers and sisters out there are, are 18 months apart or how, you know, two years apart, whatever, including my own kids? So, when you get that moment alone, and I always tell them, I so that's going to be a baby maker, right? But so you drop your kids off because you trust this person. You've been told to trust this person. And you probably don't drop them off the whole time the first night. You probably drop them off for a couple hours and you come back. This person puts on the the best face. Nanny puts on the best face in You start to feel more secure. They come highly recommended. And so you end up leaving them overnight. But you never, ever expect the bitch is going to kill your kid. And it would come out, you know, that later on. (sighs) After the case that I'm about to start telling you, which is the most fucked up case. And people ask me, what's your worst case ever? I'll tell you it's probably the most fucked up case I've ever heard of, okay? And and uh, I'm going to stop it right there. I'm just going to stop it. I'm certainly not saying that, you know, the, now these these parents, and rightfully so, the ones that were locked up and didn't get to say goodbye to their baby and all that, they sued the shit out of OCS and the sheriff's office and all that, and I get that. And um, I don't think that either agency acted with malintent But I do think they fucked up, obviously, right? I mean, they fucked up bad. And and we'll get into that later on. But the case, I'm going to tell you, is uh, you take the most fucked up mother or person, uh, baby killer in the world, this one is the worst, period. So I don't know how there's not movies made about it and everything else, but... Again, this is a prelude to it and setting up a little background. And even if you think you know this case, you don't know shit. And for the first time, y'all, I've been telling you Real Life Real Crime was going to step up its game. I was going to start pulling courtroom testimonies and start pulling actual case files and stuff like that. Does it mean I'm going to read everything? No, absolutely not. But what it does mean is uh, these cases are so massive that I don't want to miss out on anything important. Like going back to this case file, I found that um, complaint that called in from, that had his baby that was injured in 1989 when this nanny was watching, when the baby was burned. So I, there's a lot that I would have to put together on it, but you're going to hear more, and you're going to have more access, especially Patreon. You're going to have more access to documents than you've ever had in anything real life, real crime has ever put out, and it's going to be a real humdinger. So, that being said, I'm gonna conclude today's episode. We're about, I don't know, close to 50 minutes in. That the I do want to talk about some things, y'all. We just got done with the second annual Real Life Real Crime Crew Bash, and oh my gosh, it was amazing amazing. We had lifers from all over the United States that are now and not only lifers, their family that came and stayed at the Hilton. I actually got to go fishing with uh, Becky and, and Paul Andre on Thursday and Captain Calvin Duvall and Duvall's Cajun Charters on on Thursday. They flew in, got in late at night and then we went, we fished on Thursday. Awesome time. Thanks again, Captain Duvall. Oh, and Buddy's Barbecue, Denim Springs, Louisiana. Packed our lunch for us, y'all, and he gave brisket and pulled pork and pulled smoked chicken and sausage and the buns and, you know, four sides and everything. Look, the best barbecue you can get, y'all. Go check them out. And he, he, um, his name... The name of his buddy's barbecue, is the owner's name is Mickey Watson. He named the restaurant after his deceased father, okay? He's won all kinds of competitions and everything else. He came Friday night to our little private get together and he came, I didn't get to see Mickey uh, Saturday night, but I was busy with the crowd. But he came to that. But I want to thank you, Mickey, for, for uh, feeding us on Thursday. That was awesome. And they loved it, right? The Coloradans loved the food. And I, of course, kept it the ball. It's, but said so thanks for that. And then so I ended up spent, staying an extra night at the Hilton in uh, then got to meet, you know, uh, Megan Stringer and her friend uh, from Nebraska. And the friend was from, I think, Minnesota or the, uh I get it confused, y'all, but it doesn't matter. I got to meet lifers the next morning, breakfast, more lifers. got to meet Shane McBride and his awesome wife, and and you talk about the best people in the world. We'll get into that at a later date. But the, it was constant. The weekend, it was no bullshit. The tropical storm that was supposed to come never touched us. I don't even think it rained on us. We had a little get-together at Happy's Irish Pub. Thank you, Chad, for that. I appreciate that on Friday night was awesome. I got to meet a lot of great lifers again from all over the United States. I can't even tell you all the states. Like Jorge and his wife from Dallas uh, that drove in. And believe it or not, he actually was the male listener. Most of the time it's the females that are the fans of the show. But anyway, I got to... Hang out with everybody and that night, and sign autographs, take pictures, and the moves y'all, the cows. Uh, I'm I'm not gonna give the name away. Y'all know who you are. You rock. I got all kinds of presents and stuff. They're gonna make sure I, that my cell phone battery is never dead again. And I got plenty of stuff to drink out of and everything else. And then we had the, our our friends from Lake Charles that brought the gifts and the shirts and the the tumblers and just is it's too much for me to even begin to that's friday night right and and then saturday comes and we go to the texas club for the vip event which is the doors open an hour early for peeping and times and their guests in southern boys outdoors absolutely hooked it up with a fire jambalaya that that they cooked and you could tell it was good because it didn't last right and and one of the swamp people guys were there and I got to again walk around the crowd and they uh, people towns were able to get in and get whatever table they wanted to watch the event from the venue the Texas Club my God it was amazing total opposite than last year. They're, it wasn't a bad seat or, or standing place in the house, and they had big screen, but the sound was phenomenal. I actually got on Toby Tomplay. Thank you. Toby came in, uh, met me early. Actually, he came Friday night also, which was awesome, but he met me early, when we did our own sound check after Chase Tyler and this band had done theirs, and we went there, you know, my intro, whatever, and then I got to talk to everybody again, and they opened the doors at 7 and y'all, shit, they had a line down around the building. People were waiting to get in to see real life, real crime. And the it filled up fast. I took the stage around eight, and it was amazing. <laughs> Moo. If y'all were there, you know what that means, right? So it was amazing. It was a great podcast, great live. And then once it was over, guess what happened? We... By we, I mean all of us y'all, all of the lifers who are involved in the LOPA raffle, the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency raffle, where it was $15 to uh, to take a chance to win a trip, which was donated by Duvall's Cajun Charters. Captain Calvin Duvall out of Delacroix, Louisiana, was going to provide the trip for the winner and a guest to come fishing with me for the day. And Real Life Real Crime was providing the lodging, uh, uh, for them when they come down there and the Jim Chapman with local Years podcast provided 125 quart Yeti ice chest and we got to draw that on stage. Lori Steele, the local representative, did it uh, for us and in the winner of the big winner of the fishing trip, the lodging, the um, ice chest, etc. was Will Thomas. And he's, he's been notified. He was actually there. And so congratulations, Will. I appreciate you. And then second place prize was donated by Home Key Mortgage and Miss Tiffany Sicard. Sicard, Miss Tiffany, I don't want to say your name wrong again. You know, I love you. And another, she wanted to match the ice chest. So we were able to give away another over $600 ice chest. And it, the, the winner was Sam B-A-T-T-Y, and Sam, I know, picked it up. Uh, well, it was delivered today for him. So thank you all who, who bought tickets, and guess what? We raised $8,080 in less than a month of selling tickets. $8,080 for Lopa, y'all, which is just, just priceless, it, just amazing. And, y'all, it goes in Lopa helps save lives and improve the quality of lives and and all that. And look, another, i got to give another quick shout-out, Gateway Inc. I told you all, or you might have heard the special drop, Cindy and I did together about them. They're a screen printing company. Any, anything you want printed, they can do it. Look them up, Gateway Inc, In they were awesome they came and worked the bash they sold the uh, koozies they made for us uh and and they worked it and i want to thank them so much from the bottom of my heart y'all and check them out they're a non-profit and they help adults who are on the autistic range whatever it may be from the lowest to the highest and you know they help train them in jobs and and um if they're able to Help them with independent living within the facility and just give them life skills and things, y'all. And it's just, it's just a real blessing of an organization. And so, and we love them and thank you, Gateway Inc. Yeah. If you, but look, it's a real company. It's not. I mean, it's a, it's a nonprofit, but it's not charity. All right. The the uh, you get something for it. And the the koozies they made for us were fire. I think they sold them out, uh, and they had a bunch of different Woodyisms. So, and I'm not sure. Yet, on as as there's supposed to be three of them that were sold, that if they glow in, uh, glowed in the dark, you get whatever prize. I'm not sure how all that worked out yet because we're still figuring things out, but I'll let you know about that when it happens uh, uh, as it comes to fruition. But I kind of hope I'm not leaving anybody out. Texas Club, thank you, thank you, thank you. Your people were awesome, your staff was awesome. Your security was awesome. The, uh, Y'all, it's just, you know, the simple, uh, by far the best place I've ever played, uh, uh, by hands down as far as everything being perfect, all right? And then I got to thank the Chase Tyler and the Chase Tyler Band who played for several hours when I got done and I was upstairs signing autographs, et cetera, and at the end of the night, I, I, look, I was pretty much sober when I got off the stage, but when I went upstairs, I started hammering them back because I knew I was going to get up and sing, and I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but um, I promised I would do it, so I did, and we sang Friends in Low Places, uh, and Chase might have stopped me from falling off the stage, but it, it was all good. They rocked it. I've heard nothing but positive, positive reviews, and it kicked ass. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Chase Tyler, my brother. Thank you, everybody. And if I left you out, I apologize, okay? And um, but you, uh, much loved all the lifers and everyone who showed up, It's was just fantastic. So here's the deal. Our crew, second annual crew bash should have been in February. All right, our first one was for my 50th birthday, the uh, uh, Real Life Real Crime's first year in business. So the first week of February is, is our launch date, right? and then uh, reached 1 million downloads. Well, in February, we should have had the second one and would have been, you know, my birthday again and three and a half million downloads and what have you, what not. But the, um, got canceled because of COVID. So when, when they started coming out of COVID and, and Chase called and said, hey man, I, I, I got a date that the Texas club is possibly gonna have open, would you be interested in doing that? Because we knew Chase was gonna play for the crew bash no matter what. Yeah, I said, sure, absolutely. And and so we jumped on it with both feet, and then we're blessed ever since. But guess what? We had such a success the other night that we immediately turned around and confirmed and locked in the date of February 5th, 2022 for the third annual crew bash. And I'll give you all the details because shit's got to be worked out. I mean, the hotel... The, the, the I can pretty much say everything's going to be the same, but I'll give you all the details later on when tickets go on sale and all that. Cause I know a lot of people had Father's Day. A lot of people already had trips to the beach planned, and we sprang on y'all at the last minute, and that's fine. But guess what? It was a packed house anyway, right? So this time, we're going to do it again. Everybody will have advance notice, and we want you to come down to South Louisiana and celebrate our third annual Real Life Real Crime Crew Bash, and it's going to be phenomenal. That February fifth is a Saturday. The it's the weekend of the Pro Bowl. There's no NFL playoff games. The Super Bowl is the following weekend, and it's two weeks before Mardi Gras. So then, I mean, they might have a you know a couple of balls or something going on, but it's not going to be anything that is going to affect real life, real crime in the Crew Bash. So, but you now, all love. And blessings, your lifers rule. You are absolutely the best fans in the world. No doubt about it. Patron members, you know how much I love you. And thank you for your financial support, making the show run. You can't be a patron member. I love you just as much. Okay. And just hold on. I've been promising y'all we're up in the game. With this story, I'm gonna start it. We got some really big, big stuff coming, and it, it, that is being worked out right now. That you'll know within probably the next 30 days, and it's gonna be for everybody. Whatever, whatever involvement with it you want to have, that's okay. But it's gonna be real life, real crime, and real life, real crime only. The lifers, and I love you, and please continue to like us and share us, the crew page, over 35,000 members, y'all, on Facebook, um, the Instagram, it's at Real Life Real Crime, or at Overton Woody, hell, we have so many Facebook pages, I don't remember them all, but... The, again, I just want to thank you, and you know, I catch some heat about you know thanking my fans and talking too long. Well, guess what? If you don't like it, turn the fuck off. You know? If you want to go leave a bad review, that's fine too. Hey, y'all, if you want to go leave a good one, you can go to iTunes and uh, and leave that too. It. Somehow, it helps the show in the algorithms for Apple. But that's it. I'm Woody Overton, the host of Real Life Real Crime the podcast, and I have a happy, happy, happy heart blessed because of all y'all thank you so much but until next time or ever don't let me catch you down on murder by you peace whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, get ready you gonna do time.